Hello and welcome to Homestead Hens and Honey, a beekeeping, chicken keeping and general homesteading podcast. I'm your host, Gemma, and this week I'm sharing my thoughts and experiences on the Gold Star Honeybees Top Bar Hive, which comes as a complete kit. So I'll be discussing the quality of the materials, the ease of putting it together and how it is working out. I'm also hosting a giveaway for the book, The Thinking Beekeeper, Natural Beekeeping in Top Bar Hives by the owner of Gold Star Honeybees, Christy Hemingway. And the details for how you can enter that giveaway will be at the end of the episode. So I'm gonna start like I usually do with some homestead updates. On May 23rd, we celebrated Luna, my female whippet, third gotcha day. So three years since we adopted her. And I cannot believe that we have been blessed with this little muffin for three years already. It often feels like just yesterday that I drove out to collect her from her breeder's house. I took her technically on a two week trial, but I knew that the minute I saw her sweet face, there was no way I would ever give her up. Luna actually came to us because she had sadly killed a cat in her breeder's house, even though she'd been raised literally since birth, since she was born at that breeder's, with cats. Now, it could have been a hormonal thing. Um, She either was pregnant or had puppies at the time. I can never remember which it was. But either way, her breeder knew that it really wasn't fair to her elderly cats to keep a dog with that kind of history. Now, our very first greyhound, my very first dog, was also a cat killer. And there is a big difference in dogs between regular aggression and prey aggression. So Peyton, my first greyhound, was an absolute gentle soul. If he didn't have mobility issues, he would have been perfect as a therapy dog. He loved everyone, everything, even babies. He was so good with children, but he saw cats as prey and he always did his whole life. And, you know, we're allergic to cats. We're never going to have them here at the house. And a lot of people don't want dogs that aren't safe with cats. So we tend to look for those dogs to offer them a loving home. Now, Luna was also meant to be a show dog, but she never really took to that life. She did place enough, obviously, that she could be bred because the breeder is a very good, responsible breeder. But she never really seemed to enjoy showing as much as the breeder's other dogs did. This was also good news for me because it meant that Luna was only ever going to have the one litter. And so when I got to pick her up, she'd already been spayed. And it was definitely a fun visit. I got to see the other whippets there, some of the other dogs. And I met Luna's daughter, Treasure, who was basically Luna's mini me and absolutely precious. I think I'll always remember the moment that the introductions between our dogs was over and Luna really got a good look at our living room. She just sort of looked around her, looked at the sofa, jumped up onto the sofa, looked at me and just had this expression on her face as if to say, yeah, this is it. This is home. This is all I've ever wanted. And that was it. That was how quickly she adjusted. She really just seemed to make that decision the minute she came in. And we had no problems. Well, 
I say no problems. We had no problems with her adjusting. She is a troublemaker. She escaped her first full day with me. I know I've shared that story before. It's why our beautiful fence has deer netting all around it. Um, she's escaped a second time since then when I didn't realise there was a gap in the deer netting <laughs> and she was chasing a chipmunk and ended up going through. Um, she is prone to a sneaky piddle in the house during bad weather. But honestly, we just can't hold it against her. Not only has she improved so much in regards to said sneaky piddling, but she is the most loyal, loving, cuddly dog you have ever met in your life. I am definitely her person. It's taken almost this full year of Henry working from home for her to accept that he can also be cuddled with. Otherwise, she would consistently snub him in order to sit on my lap. She's so loyal. I really just, I can't go anywhere without her following. You know, I'll come out of like the bathroom and she's right there waiting for me. I'll come back in from seeing the chickens for like three minutes and she's delighted that I've returned. She gets into bed with me every morning after breakfast and she snuggles in and I wake up every day to her beautiful little face. So I'm just so grateful that she's here. Um, I'm so proud of all the strides that she's made with her... Um, behavior out of the house she's always been really scared when she's away from home but she's really been improving she's lost tons of weight recently so she's no longer a chonk and I just love her and I wanted to celebrate those three years and I look forward to many many more with her now, as I mentioned on the previous episode, I had taken my old lady hen, Agatha, off her pain medication to see how she would do. And she was drinking, eating and exploring happily as usual. But when I picked her up for a quick body check last week, I did find that she was a little thinner than usual. Now, this could be because we've had much warmer weather and the chickens don't tend to eat as much during the warm months. But I did restart her on the low dose of pain meds just to see if her weight would increase. Birds, like reptiles, are very, very good at hiding their pain. So it's possible that she is feeling sore when she's off the medication. I will say that in the week since I've put her back on the med meds, I do feel when I pick her up that her crop is fuller. So I think she is eating better now that she's back on them. So I don't think I'll take her off them again unless my vet advises otherwise. I am all about keeping this sweet old lady hen as comfortable as possible. Now speaking of old lady hens, I am realizing that my main flock is getting up there in age. I would have to double check because I'm terrible with time, but I believe I have had the quote unquote younger girls for three years now. And even if they had been pullets when I got them and they weren't, um, three years is kind of the peak years for chicken. A lot of people feel that they actually decline in production, in egg production by year two. And some people who really make a living out of selling eggs will cull them once they get to two two and a half three years old and I have noticed that aside from more health issues cropping up you know I had an issue with my easter egg recently where I it was a minor issue but still I keep on finding these little minor issues like they're sore so they're not grooming properly and then we're still battling the lice and sometimes it gets out of control and they need special treatments 
or they don't handle the heat as well or the cold as well or they're picking up a couple more respiratory infections here and there things like that and on top of that egg production is way way down so I have seven hens in the main flock and I'm getting two to four eggs a day regularly and every now and then I'll have a day with no eggs and very rarely I'll have a day where I get five eggs So they're just slowing down and that's totally understandable because they are older chickens. I do think, well, I've been going back and forth about what I want to do. So I fell in love with ducks and I was going to get some ducks and ducks can also be really, really good egg layers. But I'm kind of leaning towards waiting on the ducks and going ahead and getting some pullets. Either way, I'm going to need a new coop, either a you know low to the ground or on the ground coop and run for the ducks, or you know a good, secure, off the ground, predator-proof coop for quarantining the new girls before they go into the main flock. And so either way, I'm going to be spending money on something new. And the issue really is the benefit of the pullets would be that once they've gone through their quarantine period and they're old enough and large enough to be safely introduced to the main flock, they will then move into that coop and run, leaving the quarantine coop free for any rescues that I come across. With the ducks, however, you know, once I get them, that's where they're going to be living. Uh, I won't have a quarantine coop available for ducks or chickens. And ducks are little poop machines who are going to require being hosed out every day and I'm wondering if that is really something I want to commit to so watch this space I'll let you know what I decide I'm giving it some thought before I pull the trigger recently on Instagram I shared some pics of the bruises I have from my roosters attacks and I have to admit I was a little surprised by the response I thought that it was kind of a funny story but a lot of people were pretty clear that they wouldn't put up with it and that they would probably get rid of him and it did make me sit back and reassess the situation a little bit more seriously so I gave it a lot of thought and as it stands right now he is staying I do fully agree that there are plenty of good and friendly roosters out there and that keeping one who is aggressive isn't really the best idea if I was more pragmatic I would definitely eat the little turd That said, I am overall sympathetic since he is a rescue, he seems to have had a rough start in life and has grown up pretty wild. Plus, he's really, really good with the hens. He looks so handsome. I mean, he's huge and beautiful. He scares off the cats just by walking around. I could fully see him taking on a stray dog or a fox and we touch wood haven't had any issues with hawks making a play for the girls since he got here so I'm kind of thinking that he's gonna stay until maybe one day in the future I will get some eggs hatch them and if I get you know some boys I'll hand raise a rooster see if that makes for a nicer one and if I end up with a nice big friendly rooster he can go and that one will replace him Of course, you can hand raise a rooster, but once their hormones hit, there's no guarantee they'll stay gentle, but there are certain breeds where it can help increase the chances. So watch this space. For now, he's safe, but we'll have to see what happens. 
The good news overall on the homestead is that our cold weather cleared up and the night temps really started to rise, which meant it was finally time for me to go to the local plant nursery and grab some veggie plants. I picked up two different types of bell peppers, four tomato varieties, some rosemary, thyme, basil and chamomile. And then my next door neighbour offered me four tomato starts that she had left over. So I was happy to accept those and I managed to find some space for them. This year, I've been really careful to space the tomato plants far apart as I crowded them last year and I didn't get a good harvest as a result. I made the same mistake of crowding the corn that I planted. So I double sized that bed and really made sure to plant the corn much further apart than I did before. This year, I had set myself the goal of clearing the circular side bed that I have neglected for the past two years. It's been overgrown with weeds since we actually bought the house coming on four years ago, and I keep starting the process of clearing it before getting distracted by something else. It doesn't help that that area of the property gets full sun almost all day, so it very quickly becomes baking hot over there, and I don't like working there. So far for this year, I've cleared the top parts of the circular bed. I've put down wildflower seeds and I also moved in a shrub that attracts pollinators. I have no idea what it is, but it always has butterflies all over it. I've also put in rosemary and the chamomile plant and I added some lavender. My hope is that those plants will thrive, they'll spread across that top and I'll end up with a wildflower and fragrant herb garden there. I also mowed down the grass that goes behind this bed up against the fence line and I covered it with some old composted wood mulch before planting sunflower seeds and even some corn to see if they would grow because that area, like I said, gets so much sunshine that I really think I could have success growing these two sun-loving plants and because it's conveniently up against the fence, I can use that for support. To keep me motivated on all that hard work of weeding, I've decided to turn the lower ring of this bed into a pumpkin patch. It would be a really good use of the space and it would also look lovely. I think squash blooms are beautiful and then you get the added bonus of the actual squash or pumpkins. Now I do have a huge amount of weeding ahead of me though, so I'll have to keep you updated. Speaking of pumpkins, I'm also considering just dumping a pile of compost and topsoil over part of my front lawn and seeing if I can grow pumpkins there. Um, I'm just really low on supplies for making more raised beds, so I figure a dirt, like a dirt mound will work just as well for something as sprawling as pumpkin vines. And I'd really rather have that than the grass anyway. It's bringing me one baby step closer to one day having turned all this wasted lawn area into something actually productive. And it is that time of year where the grass is growing crazy, particularly after we had that, what was it, five days of solid rain. And now we've had at least a week of really warm weather. So the grass has just shot right up. I'm out with my push mower at least twice a week. And I am dreaming of the day that we get a riding mower because it's really hot work and my arms are sore. <laughs> Now onto the fun stuff, the hive updates. 
Last episode, I had told you about receiving a package of dead and dying bees, but the Carniolan queen had survived. And so I'd put her into a still queenless nucleus colony. Now, when I checked on the Carniolan queen right after that episode aired, um, I saw that she was alive and well. She was moving around. The bees were attending to her but she did not appear to be laying eggs and that colony was pulling queen cells. So I made the decision to give her a little extra time. I took the queen cells out and I gave them to my queenless split in the hopes that they could use those cells and that the Carniolan queen just needed a little extra time to start laying again. Sadly, this did not work. I went into the nuke about a week later and I found no queen and more queen cells. So the colony had obviously decided to get rid of her and it didn't matter what I did, they went through with it. I looked for her body because it had happened recently based on my last inspection, but I couldn't find it. In hindsight, I really wish I'd left the queen cells as they ended up being a little behind because they had to start all over again and pull new ones. But at the same time, I really did want to give her a chance. And this was my best option, I thought, at the time. As always, I just sort of wish that the bees could tell me what was going on. Now, Uh, When I wrote, actually, my outline for this episode, I have in like a little note that says, a week later and the nuke's in good shape, queen cells are large, they're capped, they're making honey, they have a good population. And I gave them an extra frame of eggs to make sure that they continue to thrive. Well, literally today, I'm recording this on uh, 5.25, I was out doing something else with the larger colonies and I peeked in on this nucleus colony. And... I was absolutely tickled because I found a queen cell where the cap was still hanging off. So a queen had literally just emerged, I think within the last like 12 hours, maybe just a handful of hours. And the reason I thought this is usually what happens with uh, cell cappings, whether it's worker cells, drone cells or queen cells, is once the bee emerges, the worker bees will take that little lid of wax and they'll chew it down and they'll stick it around the cell and they'll reuse it later and they do the same for queen cells they pull the whole cell down and they reuse that wax so having never seen one with just a little cap hanging off I was like oh my goodness there is a queen in here and when I saw her I knew she just emerged because she was pale she looked soft and she was fuzzy fuzzy like a little nurse bee it was amazing I've never seen a queen bee who has literally just emerged before so I am thrilled um I can't wait to see how she does and fingers crossed that when she's ready for her mating flight she will be successful and she'll be a really good queen for that colony um it's going to take a couple of days where she will harden her exoskeleton she'll build up her flight muscles before she goes on those mating flights and if the weather continues to be good it's looking good in that area 
Now, the queen cells that I had moved from this nuke to the queenless split were pulled down by that colony, but they ended up creating quite a lot of new ones. In fact, they had so many big, healthy queen cells that I made another nucleus colony taking four queen cells that were almost ready to be capped. And this left the queenless split with two fully capped queen cells and two almost ready to be capped. And then even a couple that they were still drawing out. And because this colony is still absolutely bursting with bees, I gave them some empty frames to work on. And I offered some one, one, sugar syrup just in case they needed a little boost for making wax. Now a week or so later checking on this colony kind of confused me a little bit. There were some signs that a queen might have emerged or they had pulled down some of the queen cells for some reason but I didn't spot any signs of a virgin in that colony and they had four swarm cells and the difference between a queen and a swarm cell in this case is that the swarm cells were all hanging off the bottom of a frame, whereas queen cells tend to be in the middle of a frame. Now, when I originally went in, I didn't want to pull those swarm cells down because I didn't know if they had a virgin queen in there and they didn't have any eggs left to pull additional queen cells. So if I pulled those swarm cells down, was I potentially getting rid of any option of a queen emerging for this colony. So I decided to leave them be, but I did expand the brood area a little bit so that they hopefully wouldn't feel as constricted. However, the next day I literally woke up first thing in the morning and all I could think about was how I needed to get back in that colony and I needed to give them a frame of eggs from the mother queen. Now, I didn't get to do that until today. Um, when I went in, I was really glad that I did make this decision because it looks like maybe during my inspection or maybe something else, but they have started pulling down the swarm cells. So I ended up just getting rid of them completely. Um, I don't think the queens in them are viable anymore after having been exposed in the way they were because they were capped when I found them and then they were open so I gave them a big uh, frame of eggs today and then an additional frame of brood I want to keep this colony sweet while they raise a new queen so they're kind of running behind but I'm optimistic I also put on a third medium box for them to work on because they are building so quickly so right now they're two deep boxes and three medium or honey supers now my overwintered queen and her colony seem to be doing well uh they are building up well they were building up fast um even after the split i had to put another deep box on for them but i noticed the other day that they've slowed down a lot. So the queen seems to have slowed down with her egg laying and I'm not really sure why. It could just be the heat that we've had or it could be genetic. So I've had queens before, Queen Marker used to do this, it would get hot and she'd really slow down on, on her egg laying and then she'd build up again in the fall. So I'm just kind of watching them, I'm making sure that they have space in the brood area 
And they also have a medium where they're working on wax and then bringing in honey. Now, they're a good population still. So it's just a case of watching them, making sure they continue to do okay. And just to be sure, I've been giving them syrup as well. I also finally decided, excuse me, on a name for this queen, Kaliak. Um, This is based, well, Kaliak is based on a Gaelic deity and she was often called a divine hag and ancestor spirit and she's associated with the creation of the landscape as well as the weather in particular she was associated with winter and in Scottish mythology she's often called Bera queen of the winter so this seemed like a really fitting name for the only queen of mine who managed to survive the winter here on the homestead Now, finally, my top bar hive is doing really well. I'm very excited. They have five to seven bars with wax now, all of different sizes. So they've probably got at least three full-sized combs made and all the rest are building up nicely. As of this week, I actually ended up expanding their nest cavity. I put in three new bars for them to start working on because they are really just doing so well. Now that there is lovely new beeswax comb in this hive, I can see eggs and I can see the queen. And she is a dark Italian beauty. I originally intended to name her Flora, but I decided on Fortuna, who is a... Greek goddess of, um, I'm sorry, an Italian goddess of fate, fortune and fertility. I um, am really, really enjoying watching this colony work and they are so amazingly docile. I have not had to smoke them at all, possibly because they are just so busy that they really don't care for my minor interruptions. Okay, so let's move on to the main topic for this episode, the Gold Star Honeybees Top Bar Hive. Now, Gold Star Honeybees is owned and run by Christy Hemingway, a beekeeper, speaker, educator and author on all things top bar beekeeping. In her book, The Thinking Beekeeper, A Guide to Natural Beekeeping in Top Bar Hives, her About the Author section states... So, just what did bees do before beekeepers? Searching for an answer to what seemed a simple question, Christy Hemingway launched her own investigation into what was really behind the growing problems with honeybees. She soon came to the conclusion that with honeybees, less is more. In other words, less human manipulation is better for the honeybee. This insight led Christy to found Gold Star Honeybees in 2007, to advance a low-tech, natural beekeeping system known as the Top Bar Hive. The most important feature of a Top Bar Hive is that it allows the bees to make their beeswax honeycombs in accord with their own natural systems in a non-toxic hive environment. A Gold Star top Top Bar Hive is clean and green and supports the making of natural beeswax. Beeswax made by bees for bees. In her TED Dirigo talk in 2011, Making the Connection, Honeybees, Food and You, Christy highlighted the important connection between our agricultural system, honeybees and health. 
Spreading this same message through her bee evangelist speaker persona, the bee lady, Christy advocates and agitates for more organic food, less industrial agriculture, and of course, more natural, less invasive beekeeping. I first met Christy in 2019 when I attended her talk on getting started with top bar hives at the Tri-County Beekeepers Association Spring Workshop. You can hear about that workshop, including Christy's class in my episode 16 and I'll also post a link to the blog post that I shared that goes with that episode. Christy's passion for bees and natural wax in particular really inspired me and I decided after taking her class that I would one day give Top Bar Beekeeping a try. When the time came for me to really start looking into acquiring a Top Bar Hive I immediately thought of Christy and I went to her website for guidance and it was to my utter delight that I found that she sells or I should say sold because currently at this time there are no full hive kits listed for sale and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit but she sold a complete top bar hive kit with literally everything you would need to build it from the fully cut and treated wood to the screws and the bolts. So at the time I added it to my Amazon wishlist and then I quickly kind of forgot about it because I got super busy managing my apiary and my homestead and the reptile breeding business and things just kind of got out of my control and and a top bar hive was the last thing on my mind. But for my birthday last year, I received this hive kit from my incredibly wonderful and generous in-laws. It felt too late in the season to get bees into it. My birthday is right at the end of July. So I decided that I would work on putting it together as a winter and early spring project. First things first, I want to talk about the design of this top bar hive as quite a lot of thought has clearly gone into it. Um, The following information all comes directly from the Gold Star Honeybees website, which I will link in the episode description and also on my blog. The Gold Star Top Bar Hive was first made available for sale in 2009. Its interior cavity measures 45 inches in length, 15 inches in width and 9.5 inches tall. It has a glass observation window along one side with a handy dandy removable cover and it comes with 30 top bars and two follower boards as well as an adjustable and fully removable bottom board. Quick side note. What is a follower board? Follower boards are used to limit space within the hive and encourage straight comb building. When installing bees into a top bar hive, you don't allow them access to the full cavity of the hive straight away. Instead, you use the follower boards to create a smaller space for the the bees to begin their comb building. Over time, you enlarge this space until the follower boards are no longer needed and all the top bars are being used by the bees. Now, the top bars that come with this hive have a width of one and three eighth inch, which is considered a suitable width for brood comb. Honeycomb, in contrast, is often built up to two inches. So spacers, which are sold separately, can be used to increase the space for honeycomb production. The spacers add an additional either an eighth of an inch or a half inch, depending on which set you buy. The vertical height or the thickness of the bars is three eighths of an inch, which helps prevent squashing bees during inspections. 
the bars rest across the top of the hive body's sides, extending slightly over the edges. There is no inside lip or frame that the bars rest on. And this design was specifically chosen so that each frame can be separated with a quick twist of the hive tool. There is no need to dig down the side of the frame to pry it up and out. And I will have pictures to demonstrate all of this on my website. Top bars are most effective when they have some kind of comb guide. The Gold Star top bars use a beveled point as a comb guide that runs the full working length of the top bar, which helps prevent the bees building sharply curved comb at the edges, which can often happen with bars that have a much shorter comb guide. The added benefit of this type of full length comb guide is that it acts to centre the bars, which limits them from sliding back and forth when the lid of the hive is removed. The Gold Star website describes their hive as truly the most versatile top bar hive available, in part due to the multi-entrance design. Most top bar hives will have either an end entrance or a side entrance. The Gold Star hive offers you both. There are three entrance holes in the center of the front side of the hive, as well as two entrance holes on either side of the observation window, so on either end of the hive. So this increases the versatility. When used with the two follower boards, this hive can be managed as a front entrance hive, an end entrance hive, and you can even manage two colonies within it at the same time with this kind of layout. The wood used is sustainably harvested solid cypress and it comes pre-drilled. For assembly, all you need is a screwdriver or a small drill and a staple gun. All other hardware comes with the kit, as well as a set of instructions. Without out of the way, let's talk about how the build process went. And what I would like to do here is list pros and cons. And I'm going to start with the cons so that I can end on a positive note as overall, this is a cracking hive. It's attractive, it's easy to work with and it's beginner friendly. So I really don't want to end my discussion of it with the things that I didn't like. So to start with cons, the biggest, most immediate con is the price. As it's not currently listed for sale, um, and I'm going to say that I did reach out to Christy to find out why it's been pulled down and whether it will be going back up in the future. I haven't received a response as of the time of recording. This is the busy season for beekeepers, so I completely understand. My suspicion is that it's not for sale because my understanding is that lumber prices have gone through the roof, as have shipping prices. So I'm sure at this time it's just not viable. But I am really hoping that it will come back in the future. But anyway, because it's not listed and I didn't personally buy it for myself, it was a gift, I cannot remember the exact price, but I believe it was between $600 and $700. Now for many, that's just too much money to spend on one hive. But I will say that I believe the price to be fair based on the quality of the materials and the time that it takes for a small business owner to prepare a ready-to-go kit such as this. I also just 
you know, to compare, I looked at average prices on assembled Langstroth boxes, hive kits, frames, etc. And I found that a Langstroth hive with a bottom board, inner cover and lid made up of one brood or deep box and two medium or honey supers will run you about 300 to $400. And that doesn't include any kind of shipping cost. Obviously, unassembled would be cheaper by about 100 to $150, depending on your supplier. So really, if we go by the 300 to 400, this hive, this gold star honeybee hive is, you know, almost half again as expensive, but that's not really that bad when you consider what you get. Also, for those of you who are unwilling or unable to drop that kind of money, which I completely understand, Christy offers a downloadable guide for construction priced at $25. So if you have access to the wood and the tools needed to build a Gold Star Hive, you can purchase the complete guide to how to build it for $25. You also have the option of buying what they're calling the Hive Kit, which comes with all of the hardware needed as well as the construction guide. So all you need to do is supply the wood and cut it into shape. Now, this kit is priced at $75, which for do-it-yourselfers is much more affordable. So although the quality of the wood is very good, and I'll post a bit more about that in the pros, I did find that some of the measurements were very slightly off, meaning that certain pieces did not fit quite as neatly as I expected. For instance, I had some issues with lining up screws and I also feel that the removable bottom doesn't fit as snugly in the closed position as I think that it should. And I'm also willing to admit that some of this might be user error because I'm not handy at all. But when it comes to the measurements not fitting, that's not a me thing. That is just what I'm working with. So next con is the gable roof. And I'm going to say first off, this roof is absolutely beautiful. And I think it will do a wonderful job of protecting the hive from extreme weather and definitely from predators. However, it is huge and therefore extremely heavy. If you're looking to get into top bar hives due to mobility issues, I would not recommend this style of lid. And since it's the only kind that comes with the complete kit, I therefore can't recommend this hive to you. However, if you bought like the construction plans to do it yourself, I would recommend finding a lighter style lid to go with it. Now, I am personally interested in top bar beekeeping for a few reasons. And one of those is the accessibility issue. I've never been shy about telling you guys about my back pain and I'm having growing problems with my carpal tunnel. I have also recently developed during the pandemic an incredibly painful elbow that is not clearing up. And all of these physical problems definitely limit my mobility and they always limit my strength. So what appealed to me about top bar beekeeping is that there's no lifting and hauling around of heavy boxes like with the Langstroth hives. And so top bar beekeeping would be a good option for me if I get to a point where I literally cannot lift those things anymore. If that day does come, I will have to replace this gable roof with something lighter and easier for me to manoeuvre. My last con is about the paper instructions. And this is a me thing. I'm sure it doesn't happen to everyone. But 
the kit is supposed to come with them and mine did not. Now the instructions are available online for free and you can download them and you could print them, but I'm mentioning it because it really did annoy me to take everything out of the box and find that the paper instructions weren't there. I much prefer reading from paper when I'm building something than using my phone or whatever for the online option. And because I'm weird about paper waste, I didn't want to have to print it. So that's kind of a minor con, but I wanted to include it. Now, as for the pros, number one is definitely the quality. This is solid, thick, weather-treated wood. It is heavy and it is hard working. You do not need to paint it. They recommend painting the roof just because, you know, obviously it's gonna get like a lot more exposure to weather, but the rest of it, you don't need to paint. Now, not only does how heavy and solid this wood is mean that the structure of the hive is strong, but it also offers a certain amount of insulation. And I noticed that the wood on this hive is much thicker than that of standard Langstroth hives and will therefore offer superior insulation. All hardware that comes with the kit is also good quality. I had no issues with screws breaking or seeming flimsy and all the pieces were accounted for. This is not like when you buy furniture online and you suddenly find out that you're missing about five pieces. Everything you need is right there to get you started. The next pro is the instructions and the design, which overall are extremely user friendly. I am not crafty and I consistently struggle with construction projects. In the last two weeks, I just broke tr two drill bits fixing the chicken run. Don't ask me how, it just happened. But I was able to put this hive together with minimal issues. <laughs> Excuse me. As mentioned in the cons, I did find that some measurements were ever so slightly off. So some things had to be re-drilled or adjusted very slightly. And I usually had my husband help me with that to make sure that I wasn't messing things up. But overall, this was easy to assemble and the instructions are extremely clear and come with great photos. So it's all just very, very user-friendly. The top bars are a big pro. They are so well made. They're sturdy, they fit well, and the beveled point comb guide really does all that was promised. I have found them easy to lift without jostling the delicate comb, and I don't squish the bees when returning them. They fit together snugly and they don't flip up or move if I struggle with getting the lid on. The height is also a pro. Unlike some fully assembled top bar hive kits, this one comes with legs that the website describes as, to quote, the same height as your kitchen counter, end quote. So you're not hunched over during inspections, nor do you need to reach up high to remove a box such as with a Langstroth. Another great pro is the observation window. This is such a fun feature. It allows you to quickly peek into the hive without disturbing them by taking the roof off. The cover that goes with it easily slides in and out and it's held in place by little metal swivel latches so it's super easy to use. The cover is a, a really important feature because too much light going into the hive will stress the bees and could cause them to abscond from the hive and this cover is a good solid thick piece of wood so no light is going to escape when it is held in place. And my final pro, but it is a big one, is appearance. 
This hive honestly looks amazing. The gable roof is stunning. The wood is a beautiful pale color. The bars rest in neat rows across the hive body. And that observation window with the cover is such a neat feature that also looks good. Overall, despite having no additional decoration besides me painting the roof green, this hive is attractive and it's an eye-catching feature of my apiary, which consists of decorated Langstroth hives. And yes, it's a little shallow to talk about how good something looks, but it really does. And it just looks beautiful out there and I love to see it. So for this next section, I wanna talk about getting bees into this style of hive. So when you're used to working with vertical hives, your first issue when moving to a top bar is how do you get bees into it? Now there are some clever and super handy beekeepers out there who've designed ways to transfer a four or five frame nucleus colony, such as you'd put into a Langstroth, and how to attach it to a top bar hive to encourage them to move in. But for someone like me, that's a relatively complicated process and I also don't have time for it. So to keep things simple, when you're starting a top bar hive, my recommendation is to start with a package of bees or a swarm. With a package, you will receive either two, three or five pounds of bees, depending on what you ordered. And the way that this works is all those bees are taken from many different hives. Then a queen who is caged is placed with them for transport. And this queen is not known to the vast majority or even all of the bees in that package. And so it takes some time for them to accept her. Now, usually this happens during the time spent traveling through the mail, but extra precautions aren't a bad idea. As the queen arrives in a cage, you will want to make sure she is alive and well before carefully removing the cork and replacing it with fondant or a piece of marshmallow. The time it takes for the worker bees to eat through this and therefore release her will increase the chances of her being fully accepted by the colony. With a swarm, the queen is already accepted and her colony is united, consisting entirely of her offspring or sisters in the case of a newly emerged queen that was part of an after swarm. Now, if you manage to find a swarm hanging out in the open or lure one into a swarm trap, you'll still want to temporarily cage the queen in order to keep her safe during transport and to ensure that the colony remains together. Once again, you can use a piece of fondant or marshmallow as you would do with a package. Now, with this particular hive design, the Gold Star Top Bar Hive, you have two follower boards that allow you to create an inner cavity for the bees to work with it. If given the full space of the interior immediately, the bees might choose to abscond or they might create a ton of cross comb. One of the things that I really love about the assembly instructions that came with this hive is that it includes an insulation guide complete with a handy diagram that I'm gonna post on my website. For now, try and picture this. You have 30 top bars and two follower boards. What you do is you place 10 of the top bars along the left side of the hive and then the follower board with the hole in the base of it. And this area of the hive is where you will place a feeder for the bees with the hole allowing them to access this enclosed space. After this follower board, you place 10 more top bars and then the final solid follower board. In the remaining space, you put the remaining top bars. And as a quick side note, when both follower boards are in this hive, in this 
orientation, I could only fit nine frames on the right side of the hive. And I don't know if this is normal or not because I couldn't find any information about this on the website or in her book, but this could be a sign of another measurement error because theoretically I should be able to place 10 frames there. But anyway, so now you have looking down at the hive, you have 10 bars, a follower board with the hole in it, 10 more bars, the solid follower board, and then the remaining 10 or nine bars. Go to the space between the follower boards and remove the 10 bars. Just put them to the side for now. This center cavity is where you will place your bees. Beneath this section of the hive, on the front are the three entrance holes sealed with large corks and you want to remove the central cork. This will be the hive entrance. So to start with, you have your package, so open it up. There's usually a plastic or a wooden piece stapled over one side, pry that up. Beneath it, you'll see a syrup can. Carefully lever that up and out of the package. Next to the syrup can, the queen cage is often held in place by a strip of plastic or thin metal. Carefully remove the queen cage, make sure that she's alive, and then add the fondant or marshmallow as mentioned before, and then attach her to one of the top bars using a push pin. Now you want to make sure that she's hanging down from the bar with the food cork accessible for the worker bees to eat through. Do not press the screen part of the cage up against the bar. You want the workers to be able to feed her and interact with her through the screen. You also want to make sure that it's hanging as straight down as possible because they're likely going to start building comb around her and you want it to start going down. Now, once this queen cage is hanging securely, move this frame over to the side and pick up your package of bees. Holding the lid over the hole where the can was, lift up the package and firmly tap one corner of it against the ground. This causes all the bees to tumble down to that corner in a great big mass or ball. You now hold the opening of the package over the space you've made in the hive and gently shake the bees in. You might need to thump the package a few times to get all the bees out and there's always a few that just won't let go. So I usually place the package with the hole facing up beneath the entrance of the hive. Now that your queen and the big ball of bees is inside the hive, carefully place the top bars back with the queen at the center. Replace the lid of the hive and voila, you just installed a package of bees or a swarm into a top bar hive. Make sure that you return in three to five days to see if the queen has been released. If she is still in the cage, you can either remove the candy yourself and let her walk out onto a frame or onto the interior side of the hive, or you can just poke some more holes in it so there's just a tiny bit of it left and have the workers finish it off. This is the exact process that I use and it worked really well. I had some trouble hanging in the queen cage securely due to my lack of dexterity, but once she was in place, the bees all formed a cluster around her. They managed to get through a really nasty cold snap like this. I was very worried about them. But once that passed, they started drawing wax like crazy. And after 15 days, they've drawn comb on seven top bars and are just starting on the eighth. And that seems like a pretty good build up to me. I'm definitely impressed with them. This next section is management experience so far. Being completely new to top bar hives, I will say that the management style has taken some getting used to. 
at first I really felt like I had no idea what I was doing and the whole process of hive inspections felt rather clumsy. The biggest challenge was as simple as lifting and returning the top bars. As the bees went into a completely empty hive and they've had to build their own comb, they're constantly in a process of building new wax. And they do this by something called festooning. And this delightful term describes the, the way that bees will cling together leg to leg in a kind of chain as they work as a group to produce beeswax comb. Think of it as the bees creating an adorable kind of scaffold from which to work from. Now, due to this festooning, every time I lift a frame, I am disturbing them, causing them to break apart and often fall in small groups to the bottom of the hive, which is not fun for the bees at all. This was especially bad early on as the bees worked diligently to get that comb built. I found that separating the bars really slowly helped them fall off onto the surrounding bars instead of tumbling down to the floor. Another issue early on after the install was the process of returning the bars without squishing the bees. So although the design does help decrease this, the bees themselves were, I guess, unused to the hive structure and they would often start crawling along the top of the bars the minute I disturbed them. Getting them to go back into the hive was often a struggle as they seemed to want to hang out right where the two bars would come together. So early on, I found that I had to gently smoke them every time I wanted to return a bar to its original position. And this did help a great deal. Now that we're 18 days on and the bees have full comb to work with, both these issues are beginning to resolve themselves. In terms of festooning, there's a lot less of the bees hanging in great chains as they're often now able to hold onto an adjacent frame as they work on drawing more wax. I do still separate the bars carefully, but the bees tend to let go earlier on and can just grab hold of nearby comb. As for returning the bars, the bees seem to know how things work now, and they're more likely to be lower on the comb than before, so not up by the top. When they're just starting to build the comb, they must be right up there on the beveled comb guide and would move upwards to investigate why the colony was exposed to light. These are natural behaviours. But now they're often low on the comb, working on adding more wax to the existing structure. They've also started sealing the bars together using propolis, which is a good sign of them working on the health and security of the colony. And this also seems to keep them from clambering above the comb guide, making the process of lowering a bar back into the hive way easier than before. In fact, when I was last in this colony the other day, I didn't need even one puff of smoke, which was lovely. So while the bees are comb building, it's really hard to find the queen. She's often deep in the mass of busy workers, which makes her almost impossible to spot. With little comb, it's also difficult to see those tiny eggs under all that activity. Once the bees have a few bars of comb, however, finding eggs and the queen becomes a lot easier. I didn't see mine until 18 days after installation. Up until that point, I trusted she was there based on the behaviour of the colony. The bees were calm and industrious, working as a unit to build wax and bring in food. Without a queen or brood to unite them through pheromones, it's doubtful the bees would have remained in the hive. 
their willingness to stay put and to work as well as their continued docile nature told me that the queen was alive and well within the hive and I just had to be patient and that patience has paid off and I have got some lovely pictures of my new dark Italian queen. So it's hard to review the Gold Star Top Bar Hive without also mentioning Christie's book, The Thinking Beekeeper. This is a really excellent how-to book when it comes to setting up and managing a top bar hive, whether it's one of her own design or not. Broken into two parts, part one covers the history of beekeeping, different hive designs, why beeswax is so important and basic bee biology. Part two is the how-to section, covering details on top bar hive design, how to get started with the top bar, how to perform inspections, overwintering the hive, harvesting honey and wax, and what pests and diseases you might encounter, as well as treatment options. It ends with two appendixes. Appendix A provides a sample hive inspection diagram, and Appendix B lists bee and beekeeping resources. Now, the very best part of this book is the diagrams. Christy has provided clear and easy to understand diagrams that outline how to install a package, how to help your colony expand, how to shift the colony to ensure they use all of the space provided and how to prepare them for winter. I'm going to post some of the photos on my blog for you to look at and I really encourage that you do so because they're wonderful. Christy also published a follow-up to this book called Advanced Top Bar Beekeeping, Next Steps for the Thinking Beekeeper, which I have yet to read but will do so shortly. For my next episode, I'm going to share a full review of her first book, The Thinking Beekeeper, and in preparation for that, I'm doing a giveaway. I have an additional copy of this book up for grabs. In order to enter the giveaway... All you have to do is leave me a comment on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or my website just telling me what appeals to you about Top Bar Hives. If you don't use social media, you can also email me at homesteadhensandhoney, all one word, at gmail.com. Bonus entries will be granted to anyone who leaves me a review on iTunes <laughs> because apparently I need those. So there's some incentive. Now, each entry is going to be numbered and I'll then use a random number generator to select the winner. The winner will be announced on my next episode, so you have until June 6th to enter. And I'm sorry to say, but I do need to restrict this to the US only due to the current high shipping costs. So I'm very apologetic to all of my international listeners. I do love you and appreciate you, but I cannot afford to ship this book to you at this time. So all you have to do is reach out to me in some way and let me know what you think about Top Bar Hives, what appeals to you about them, and I will enter you for a chance to win this brand new book. Quick disclaimer, I am not associated with Christy in any way. I was not paid to do this. She did not give me the book to do this. I bought this book with my own money and um, I'm offering this giveaway because I think it's a wonderful resource and I would love for one of my listeners to have access to it. And that's it for this week. So go forth, leave me some kind of comment to enter that giveaway. Enjoy your bees. We're really moving into the season here. So I hope you're having fun. And now is the part of the episode where I share some personal updates. So if you'd rather skip this, just turn off the episode now. And I hope you'll join me again in two weeks. For personal updates, I wanted to say that I am adjusting to my new anti-anxiety meds. 
the first seven to 10 days on them, uh, which was, I think, right around when I recorded before, I was really tired. I was struggling with what felt like a total lack of motivation. I mentioned on the last episode that I realized that my anxiety was my prime motivator. And I was struggling real hard with getting going without that kind of sense of dread. Without those constant anxiety thoughts and feelings, I actually felt really weird. I thought that having them gone would be a huge relief, but I just felt off and I didn't really know what to do with what felt like sudden time and quiet. Someone online described anxiety as having lived with someone who's constantly screaming in the next room and then all of a sudden they stop, they just go silent and you had adjusted your life with that screaming and so when it goes away it's a shock to your system and it can be hard to readjust to the new quiet and I really liked that analogy. I have felt less anxious, less pressured and in response I feel like my days don't race by quite as fast. I've also realized that I can be motivated without the screeching anxiety thoughts. That said, in the last week, I think I have started to acclimate to this dose because I'm having more anxious days emerging and and some more anxiety thoughts coming back. Um, My doctor did start me on a low dose so that we would have somewhere to go and I'm seeing her next week. So it could be that a small increase is in my future. We'll just have to see. So right now I'm doing okay anxiety wise most days I am wrestling with my depression I can see that part of myself more clearly without the anxiety distracting me and so that gives me hope that I can work on it address it and feel better in positive news I have started swimming again hooray Um, it does feel really weird not to wear a mask indoors but I am fully vaccinated and it deemed safe to do so my very first thought when I got in the pool was oh my goodness I forgot how difficult swimming is I was definitely sore after just two workouts, but I'm really looking forward to getting back into a regular practice. It's good for my mind, but I'm also really keen to get rid of these pandemic pounds that I have gained. And, um, you know, because I've been kind of depressed, I've been a bit hard on myself about the weight that I gained because I worked so hard to lose it and it's just so easy to put it back on. But I think with the gardening or the mowing and now the swimming, you know, I'm going to improve physically and mentally. I will say that because it's summer, there are very restrictive hours for swimming and it can be hard to schedule it, but I am determined to do this. I just love it so much. Uh, It's just really wonderful to get back to it. And I'm very grateful that the rec centre has been opened back up. I hope wherever you are that you're doing well, that you're safe, maybe even getting to see loved ones and friends again after this terrible year that we all suffered through. 2020 definitely brought on some huge changes to our lives and I think 2021 will as well but you know I'm cautiously optimistic that these changes will be a lot more positive. I actually got to go to my first gathering for the first time in a year everyone there was vaccinated it was outside we had like like I made cupcakes so that we didn't have to cut a cake or do communal food and it was really wonderful to see everyone it was a dog gathering because I am a crazy dog lady and I have missed those people so much and it was just really really wonderful and I 
so hope that you're getting to do things like that now as well. So be safe, be well, enjoy this time of year, enjoy your hives or your gardens or whatever it is that you do for you. And until next time, remember, hug your hens and then wash your hands. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and I will be back in two weeks. Bye-bye.